2: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, college football fans across the nation and around the world. This is Tim May with the Tim May Podcast with my regular co-pilot, Austin Ward. Some of us know him as Awesome Ward. Uh, Some of us know him as a guy that went and watched the uh, NFL Combine this past week over in Indianapolis. Some people know him as the primary beat writer on Letterman Row for uh, Ohio State football, which seems to drive the bus in this Area of the country. Uh, welcome back to the uh, Tim May podcast for yet another flight, my man.
1: What an intro! Thank you.
2: You're welcome. Uh, real quick, we're going to handle some highlights. I've got a co- great conversation with Eddie, with Coach Eddie George, head coach Eddie George, of Tennessee of the Tennessee State Tigers. I kind of rib him on the fact that he's wearing a Tennessee t- State Tigers t uh, T-shirt that's blue. <laughs> but, you know, you go where you're getting paid, right? But uh, haven't had a conversation <laughs> with Eddie since he got that job. Just As he said, went from the back of the line to the front of the line without any climbing the ladder situation in the coaching ranks. But he brings a lot to the table there for Tennessee State. And uh, just talking to him about college football in general and about uh, uh, his his journey just over the last year or the last uh, 11, 11 months or so, of being, of going from a, an S, in essence, a civilian. Is that the right term, uh, Austin? Yeah. To being the head coach yeah. of a, um, you know, FCS school, HBCU school uh, in Tennessee State. And, you know, and a little bit how he and Deion Sanders have sort of shined a light on, hey, you can play football other places, you know, and you can have these big time, yeah. uh, well-known uh, superstar NFL, former NFL football players coaching you. And it's, I think it's been a, been an interesting moment, uh, interesting time for Eddie George.
1: Yeah, and I think that, well, for one, I didn't think that Eddie George was all that interested in getting back into that that life and pursuing football. Like, it, you know, when he had all those other interests outside of it, um, and you were talking about the other things that he was doing, I think the last time he was on yeah. the Tim May podcast, like, I thought, well, this is a guy who has an inquisitive mind and seems to want to pursue all that. and. He's given so much of his uh, mind and body and spirit to football for so long. Maybe he he doesn't want any part of that moving forward, but um, I won't take any words out of his mouth, but something seemed to draw him back in there. And the second part of that, what he and uh, primetime are are doing, I'm curious about it. Uh, It's interesting. We saw how it showed up on on signing day and one of the top recruits in the country, you know, signing to play for Deion Sanders. And I don't know if this trend will continue, if it's just – uh, and early at early adapters, and maybe it'll fizzle out with name, image, and likeness. If these guys don't wind up becoming first-round draft picks after spending time with their it's time at these schools at that level and not playing the same elite competition, I, I don't know. I think it's it's certainly. Um, I hope it works for them. I think yeah. that it's a it's a great path, and a lot of people seem to enjoy those opportunities. And gotten, I have no issue with it whatsoever. I, I wonder if it will continue past this first couple uh, cycles of recruiting or if Dion wants to jump back and coach Florida State down the road himself or if Eddie George uh, really likes coaching and and winds up wanting to be, you know, at at the Big Ten kind of level at some day, you know, I I don't know. The same will apply to both, but it's certainly a a cool trend that's going right now.
2: Yeah, and real quick uh, before I get to that conversation with him uh, – The interesting thing is Eddie was jumped into it for a lot of reasons. He kind of like got his arm twisted into it, and he said, "You know, because his first thing was a firm no, I'm not doing this." And then he got talked into it, and he goes, "One of the one of the great things is is getting to affect young people, you know, getting to um, uh, young men it, It's some really crucial moments in their life, you know." And the other was just the challenge of bringing everything he's had he's he's learned, bringing it to bear not just in, in the football sense, but in the business sense, in the acting sense. You know, like I said, I said, you know, I'll wrap up the conversation with him about how acting really helps you as a head coach because you know when to turn it on and turn it off, you know, that side of you, as opposed to some coaches yeah. who don't understand that, you know. But it is a tremendous acting job that most head coaches have to do because you have to stand there stoically when all kinds of crap's coming down on them, you know, and act like, hey – You know, everything's going to be okay. And so it's really an interesting conversation with him in all of that regard. But, you know, before we get to that, I wanted to ask you this. Ohio State football pre uh, spring uh, drills start this week. Only, what, a couple of of practices before they take take off spring break. But it kind of Mm -hmm. gets them, gets everybody's toe in the water, including several new coaches uh, at Ohio State, not the least of whom is Jim Knowles, the new defensive coordinator, and uh, two assistants, uh, Perry Eliano and uh, Tim Walton. But, uh, what, what, you know, we get to watch as this as this uh, podcast is being um, uh, dropped, so to speak. hope it doesn't break. As this podcast is being dropped on Tuesday morning, you and I are going to be watching uh, like a half hour, 45 minutes of the first spring practice. Uh, as we walked out there, what, what are you most <laughs> curious about noticing, uh, Austin, or about picking up on?
1: We're late, Tim. We got to get out there. I know. Um, I can I, I told you. I mean, by the way, I,
2: by the way, we're taped before a live audience. I've got one of our cats sitting right here. Go ahead.
1: That's right. Yes. Um, I mean, it, it's the way that Jim Knowles uh, runs that defense. You know, Ryan Day has talked about he needs that person, that coordinator to be the head coach of the defense so that he can continue to do the things um, that he needs to do offensively and with quarterbacks and the play calling, and then the big picture stuff, that slice of the pie, he doesn't need to meddle with that. And so we'll see, you know, there's been so many stories elsewhere throughout Jim Noll, about Jim Knowles throughout his career, the way he relates to players, the way he coaches, uh, the instruction on the field, some of it, uh, you know, yeah. fairly aggressive. Um, some days uh, he, he makes a conscious effort to do the opposite, and uh, that resonates with them as well. So just the way, you know, we're not going to see – Everything he does, obviously, Uh, so much of what Ohio State does is behind closed doors. When you get these opportunities, you know, maybe we make too much out of them uh, in the grand scheme of things because of that fact. But um, we know how significant uh, the first, you know, set of spring practices will be for Jim Knowles uh, dramatically changing the scheme, personnel, coaching, all of that. You know, it's a big change from what they did before. So That's going to be that's going to be significant. That's going to be a big deal. That's I'm going to be watching. I don't think ordinarily I'd want to go into the out onto the field on the Woody on that first day. and I'd be like, I need to see what the defense is doing. Normally, it's like so often quarterback battles and, you know, key positions on offense. They're much easier to look at. And and today to this Tuesday, you know, they don't have have pads on, but you're still going to watch what he does, where he has guys lined up if the, any of the individual drills early on are different, if these emphasizing different things, tackling, you know, techniques and things of that sort. I, I think that the defense obviously is way more interesting and important, but, you know, I, it's worth reiterating that that's what these 15 workouts are going to be way more important, way, way more important for the defense and the offense.
2: Yeah. And a lot of times, you know, watching football practice is, is like watching an assembly line at a car factory, you know, they just keep doing the same things over and over every day uh, that's what makes a a sound car, but but they've changed up the assembly line on the defensive side, which is going to be curious if all the parts are operating. Then you and I both know, you know, when we first walked out there, first thing we're going to be noticing, hey, who is standing up of the of the forward of the forward down lineman? Who is standing up? Who is getting that first shot? You know, it being the the Leo, the thing that really, you know differentiates this from other defenses just on first glance uh or will they keep everybody down on uh with their with their hand in the in the dirt or in those little rubber granules uh will they keep everybody with their hand in the rubber granules until we've all left you know what i mean (laughs) that's the big question but that's just curious because that is such a key a key position for this defense and uh you know, we've we've talked about you know Cade Stover being mentioned uh, as one of those guys who may or may not be that that Leo dude. But uh, that is the curious factor about this defense and because who is who have they already identified as that swing guy or those guys that can be in the group of swing guys who can make that difference defensively?
1: I tell the story all the time, and I won't do it again for the uh, loyal listeners of the Tim A podcast. But you know, they don't even have to do a ton on the first day to leave with a lot of impressions. And I and I bring yeah. that up because 2014 with Darren Lee. Not the person that I don't – maybe you did, uh, but I don't think any of the rest of us covering this team said he's going to be a starting outside linebacker in that 2014 year. A long-term project. He didn't – you know, all those things that we said from January to March, Darren Lee blew it up with stuff that we couldn't, you know, see going on. And Mickey Mirati saying he needs to be at the front of the line. He's earned that in winter workouts. And you, would, you could go see it the yep. transformation in his body, the confidence that he played with. They gave him a shot that first day. Hey, you're just lining up here. The pads weren't on yet. We're like, Oh, okay. So this is a, a reason that we were um, counting on. Well, that, that opportunity was gone, never came back. Um, so we'll see if there are guys like that. You mentioned Kate Stover. Um, you know, I don't know if that'll be the case for him or, Uh, you know, Cameron Martinez trying to jump in there and cover safety role or, or whoever else it may be Mitchell Melton being healthy, lots of options, but someone is going to probably be in a position tomorrow today that we didn't anticipate and could be what they did in winter workouts and mat drills has them poised for a big jump.
2: Yeah. And what the coaches noticed about them
1: that best suits that situation, you know, and, uh,
2: it is interesting. I mean, uh, uh, Darren Lee is a great example of my, in my opinion, of them seeing something and putting it. It's not like Jim Knowles has come along and reinvented the wheel here about taking advantage of certain players, uh, certain capabilities, and stuff. And so that will be, you know, as curious as anything going on in the spring because we know who the quarterbacks going to be, we know who the wide receivers are going to be, maybe not the order they're going to go in, but we know who's going to be catching the ball. We know who yeah. the running backs are for sure. Offensive line, you got to feel for who's going to fill in a couple of those spots. And, by the way, we're going to come back after this conversation I had with uh, Eddie George, and we're going to talk about what you saw uh, at the combine. I know you've already talked about that in other places, but I wanted to zero in with you on who do you think did help themselves best among the Buckeyes and who, who ladies and gentlemen, in Austin Ward's estimation, here a month, what, a month and a half before the draft? Is that about right? Do I have that about right? Yep. Who's going to be that first buckeye off the board? We'll get an early, we'll get an early uh, forecast from uh, Austin Ward. We'll see if he turns into awesome or just oh no, uh, in about a month and a half. But you know, first I want to have this uh, let you listen to this conversation and watch this conversation I had with Tennessee State head coach Eddie George, as promised, ladies and gentlemen, a return uh, appearance by Eddie George. Uh, Let's see, Eddie George was once a big-time football player. He was once a big-time actor. He is, I'm sure, still a a private businessman, and he's the head coach at Tennessee State University. Coach George, welcome to the Tim May Podcast. Tim, it's always a pleasure to see you, my man. (laughs) It it seems like every time I talk to you, yeah, it seems like every time I talk to you, you're doing something different, man. That's what I've always called you, that cosmopolitan man, man. You're always trying something (laughs) new, and – it's just under a year now that you got named the head coach at Tennessee State University. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll talk a little bit about Ohio State in a minute because I know your heart still runs runs pretty uh, deep there, even though you are having to wear a blue-colored T-shirt now, the color of Tennessee State. But uh, just, Eddie, in a year, can you explain to people, number one, why you decided to become a head coach mm-hmm. at a major college? And then, number two, what's it been like?
0: Well, I'll tell you, Tim, um, a year ago this time, I was tossing and turning about taking this opportunity and how it all came about. Like you mentioned, I was acting. um, I was uh, running my businesses, my wealth management business, and it was through my wealth management business, the relationship that I had with president, uh, president Glover, um, that she gave me, that she presented me with this opportunity. Wow. And initially right off my first reaction was like, this is going to be a hard no, but, I still want to keep the pipeline of of communication open and the relationship going so I can get more business. So I'll act like I'm going to go through this exercise of I'm going to I'm thinking about it, but I'm going to say graciously say no. But over time, um, she's sharing her vision and the AD Mickey Allen sharing his vision for where they want to take Tennessee State uh, was appealing to me. And it was a new challenge. And um, honestly, I was I was going to say no the entire time. And so I talked to my wife about it and she challenged me. She says, well, why not? You know, why not be a head coach? When will you ever have an opportunity to go from the back to the front without having go going through the process of being a head coach? All the red tape and all the the political climate that you have to climb through to, to get to that. Yeah. And you're at a major university. You still be able to do the things you want to do. It may look different, uh, but that's okay. You know, um, the acting piece will can always be there, and uh, that's something that I, I'm still very passionate about. But I can now bring everything that I've done, Tim. Yeah, since I left Ohio State from getting my my degree in landscape architecture. Uh, putting solving problems in that, that, that arena, just looking at, at this opportunity through that lens, from the blueprint standpoint of the foundation and the pillars and the nuts and bolts and what's going to take to build a program, yeah. uh, taking, uh, my acting, um, uh, career, you know, bringing that element in the, the best thing you can do as an actor is to listen and respond and how to relate to people, how to, um, uh, uh, influence someone to do something you want to do. And that's a, as an actor that trained me to do that. Yes. And certainly now uh, getting my master's in business, looking at it from this perspective, I have to wear different hats. I've got to look at equipment. I've got to look at the medical. I have to look at academics. I have to look at the uh, strength and conditioning program. I have to look at operations. I have to look at how we're traveling. I had to look at the hotels, I had to look at the scheduling. All those things are high touch things. Now I just have to bring it together and I have to be the problem solver. Yeah. So <laughs> it was crazy that in my lifetime, up until this point, I was being prepared for this moment. You know, it didn't, yeah. on the outside looking in, it didn't appeal to me until I took that leap of faith about a year ago and I said, you know what? This is a lifetime opportunity. The number one thing is I can impact and influence the young lives of our student-athletes. Yeah. And, uh, and, I can get them, and I can get them to see that through football, that they can be more they, than they can ever imagine.
2: I was going to say, yeah.
0: Yeah. No. Yeah, I, I was going to say,
2: I mean, see, that's like Deion going – Deion Sanders going to Jackson State, you know? I mean, it's like mm-hmm. – and he hasn't left yet, you know? I mean, I right, mean, right. he saw it as that kind of opportunity, but also kind of like a why, why can't Tennessee State be really good in football, you know, number one? But number two, like you said, where would you ever get the chance – how many places did you ever get the chance to walk in almost off the street and right. become the head coach – but you're not walking in without credentials. You didn't walk in without credentials. You know, like you said, you you raise the uh, <clears throat> what do you want to call it the uh, exposure of the program immediately <clears throat> by taking the job. Number two, mm-hmm. you've got players who understand you probably grew up at least watching some of your career. Oh, these guys are really young now, right? Eddie? <laughs> but yeah, they, they are. But you've got credentials in that regard, and uh, to me. If you took it seriously, which I knew you would, and I, well, I understand you have, uh, why couldn't you d- get this job done? I mean, uh, mm-hmm. am I hitting all the buttons there?
0: Yeah, you're hitting everything. You're hitting everything. And the the fact that it's literally my backyard. Yeah. I don't move. I can still watch my son play high school football every Friday night is just a, a throwing a stone away from the universities, high school and I can recruit them. I can recruit other kids. Um, and it's, it's been a remarkable um, experience up until this point about, you know, what this opportunity has meant for me. I needed, probably needed this more opportunity more than the, than the kids needed me. If that makes sense. Yeah. Because, uh, shortly after I said, Hey, um, I'll be the head coach, you know, uh, chaos ensued. Uh, my father passed away that following Monday. Wow. Um, so uh, dealing with the death of my father and then um, dealing with all the stuff from hiring staff and really getting under the hood of what the real issues were and saying, hey, this is not a band-aid here this requires some major surgery from a culture standpoint, a lifestyle standpoint that, Hey, you know, given the, the time, the resources, the, the finances, um, that I can really make a, a huge impact here. I'm going to do that. Yeah. And, um, my mother passed away on July the 4th. Mm-hmm. So it was hit with a couple of things from a life standpoint that, uh, that this gave me an opportunity to pour into and, to distract from, um, I guess the 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 blows of losing both my parents and the grieving process with that. So <clears throat> um, it couldn't come at a better time. And I'm glad that both of my parents were able to see me. Especially my mother was at the press conference where I accepted the job, and and um, and she was really thrilled for me. So it was it was a, a great opportunity you know, I have this thing where I say, to him, um, you want to make God laugh? Tell him your plans. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, life is full of twists and turns. And that's something that I teach and I preach to my teammates or to my young men and to my coaches about, you know, we all think we have our own way of how we're going to do things and we have an end goal in mind. But sometimes the answer prayer and the end result is not what you think. It might be just better. Yeah. So it has been that.
2: Oh, I haven't spoken to you since your uh, mom passed and boy, she was one of my favorite people way back when I remember her, how proud she was on that Heisman, you know, when you won the Heisman trophy, how proud she was of you. And uh, you know, once again, uh, my, my prayers and condolences to you, man. And mm-hmm. but then, but then pass that, like you said, Eddie, when your parents, when both your parents pass, you become the man. I mean, you know, Now there is nobody to cry to, you know. I mean, you know, you understand what I'm saying, and you. I don't know if you have, if you, as you've gone along this path here this year, becoming a head coach uh, this past year, you you became real, real, realistically, uh, the leader of your family for one of another term now and stuff, and it it makes you mature even more, doesn't it? I mean, I think you know what Um, I'm talking about.
0: No, no, no. The energy that was there the blessing yeah in passing of my parents was it thrust me into that role as the leader of my family which is uh being a head coach of my family is more important than what I'm doing as my occupation yeah you know what I'm saying I have yeah. two sons that look up to me that I'm guiding and molding I have a wife that Uh, believes in me wholeheartedly and we're making decisions to make our quality of life better, to make sure our children and our grandchildren um, have a set of principles and values and a blueprint of success. So um, that's, that's the most important part. So the football part, I know, I mean that, that I know inside and out, I know what that looks like. I know what successful program looks like. I know, um, What how to take a two-star athlete and make him a five-star athlete? I know what that looks like. I know the process of that. You know the ingredients. That's but the other stuff outside of that prepared me for that moment and the energy of both my parents um, passing away left that space for me to step into, and it felt very uncomfortable, and it feels very uncomfortable, and it hurts. You know, I think about them every day and I'll break down in tears. Sometimes I can feel the presence of my mother or my father behind me where I'll say something that my mother told me or my father told me It's life lessons as I'm teaching to these kids. So my parents have never gone. They just transitioned in a different form. So um, it is an absolute blessing that I'm in this space now. And, uh, you know, again, my other endeavors have – they're not gone. they just shifted and morphed into something different right now that supports where I am in terms of this opportunity. And I'm having the time of my life, Tim. I am having the time of my life.
2: You know, I was going to ask you that. Uh, You Mm -hmm. know, a lot of people think being a hit like Ryan Day, you know, at Ohio State, it's all about X's and O's and calling those plays on third and three, which which decide a drive a game, a season, blah, blah, blah. That's just the fun part, right? I mean, that's
0: like – You look forward to that.
2: You look forward to the Saturdays. You look forward to those moments, yes. Like you said, you got to stay in a budget, you know. You've got to hire people. You trust. You've got to get rid of people who who you find out you didn't trust. I mean, you know, right now I'm not even sure you've even done that part of it yet, but hiring and firing. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: I mean – But and you've run businesses before, so you know what you understand that you understand uh, the financial aspects of things of, of something uh, coming in with a slight uh, profit every year, et cetera, you know, whatever it takes. Yes. But uh, wow. uh, uh, what what has been has it been just acquiring the people for not forget about the players, but just the people around you and then the players, because you went with people, as Woody Hayes once said, long time ago,
0: right? Oh, no question. And. It's less about the players at this point. It was my, my the best hire that I could have made for me was not my offensive coordinator, not my defensive coordinator, uh, not my running backs coach or anybody that of that nature. It was my chief of staff wow. because I was new to this business. I needed someone that had the blueprint and had uh, the background of what it looked like. Holistically, that's been there. And um, I hired a young man uh, recommended by Jeff Fisher that started the program down at Georgia State. And from from operations to scheduling games, to scheduling hotels, um, looking at your budget, uh, understanding what to look for in the total budget, the coaches salaries, plus was uh, allocated for the season for uh, for football, from uh, from equipment to the Under Armour deals to all the stuff, and that w- that was overwhelming. So to have someone that could go under the hood and kind of be that light keeper and guiding the way to say, okay, here's what we got, coach, and this is here are the decisions we have to make. What are we going to do? What makes mo- the most business sense? That's helped me tremendously, yeah. and that gave me a vote of confidence that I can collaborate with this guy. Uh, his name is Dusty Bennett. Um, I can uh, confide in him. We talk about high level stuff in terms of pushing the program and in terms of what's needed now versus where we want to go and how we want to get there. So it's been, it's been, that to me was the biggest hire and that gave me a, a vote of confidence. Yeah. And uh, and that way I can allow my intuition and um, my uh, I guess my experience has come through a little easier, you know, with it gives me the confidence to speak to the kids because I'm under the hood and understanding the holistically of where those pocket of problems are because Tennessee state has always been a, a great program. Okay. Until recently, until like the last 10 some odd years, they have won 13 black national championships. They produced, uh, I think three NFL Hall of Famers uh, produced 122 NFL athletes um, in the school's history. So it's rich in football tradition.
2: Yeah.
0: Now it's taking that tradition and the bones of that, putting those bones together, polishing those bones up, and, and and supporting it so it's sustainable, like in Ohio State, like in Notre Dame, like that team up north. Yeah. You know is bringing those resources that and those strategies that can help this program financially speaking over time you see yes. so that's 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 been the the remarkable part and we're we're getting wins every day you know little wins every day we just got a new locker room installed for the kids we are um, simplifying and centralizing our operations to be more efficient uh, we have a new weight room we have new turf coming in uh, and the energy that's evoking from our kids and the, and the confidence and the joy and the hope that, that we're giving from these kids and our coaching staff, you can really feel that, that something special is brewing here at Tennessee State, and it's really, really exciting.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's cool, man. I, I wanted to ask you, did, do you feel like a school like Tennessee State, for example, in Jackson State where Dion, for example, went, are y'all hobbled at all by that HBCU? You know, basically, uh, uh, here because I think it's a proud heritage to be part of. But you know, do you when, when you mm-hmm. go recruiting and stuff, do you have to talk past you know the fact that this isn't just a uh, uh, an experiment or whatever you want to call it that you know y'all are serious about football? You understand what I well, mean? Well,
0: here's the thing yeah. that's that's the advantage. Yeah, because now in the climate that we're in, a lot of attention has gone back to HBCUs. You know, the NFL yes. are, are, is, has really done the outstanding job of giving the resources to the football programs of guys that have played in the NFL are now coaching at East BCUs. We're able to get some things done. They're giving us a, a head start through equipment, through technology, through medical, uh, through best practices, yes. uh, providing forums of, of how to build and sustain uh, these programs. From from my perspective, I have my financial wealth management business. I'm now can say, okay, how can we make this sustainable? Let's create a fund that's just dedicated for just football. And that's going to generate opportunities in NIL deals and um, take care of ancillary um, costs you know, like maintenance costs and changing light bulbs or uh, the maintenance of the fields, yeah. you know, so it so can look and feel professional. So all those things really count. So I embrace it. You know, if you looked at the uh, NFL combine over the weekend, you can see from the, I'm talking about the FCS level, not H, just HBCUs, you can see that some of the top performers came from uh, FCS programs. Yeah, yeah. Okay. There was a linebacker from Montana State that ran well. There was a couple linemen from uh, North Dakota State um, that, that ran well. They had the receiver that ran well from North Dakota State. They had a running back from South Dakota State that played well. And I'm showing kids and telling them, hey, you don't necessarily have to go to a Power Five school to get before you want to. I mean, you're going to go into a program where you're going to be one of, gr- one of the greats. Yeah. Yeah, where you can come here and be the great one. You see what I'm saying, and really stand up, because now you have the HBCU classic, you have the HBCU uh, combine, and it's uh, it's going to be highlighting just those specific kids to say, hey, you can move on to the next level, or you're not. So now it's it's beginning to uh, evening the playing field. So I embrace the fact that I'm an HBCU because of the rich history. Okay. and pageantry surrounded by it and and all the things that come along with being at a great institution like that. And you'll find that it's more than just a football school. It's so many great colleges here and, and great um, entrepreneurs and doctors and physicians and people of, of influence have gone to do great things that have come out of the HBCU world.
2: Yeah. You know, it's interesting, though, because I, I noticed where you guys, uh, uh, Tennessee State, or at least the administrators, have talked about the the move from possibly the Ohio Valley conference, which, you know, is a just a fully fledged conference to maybe trying to find another spot because maybe the uh, desire, the aspiration is to become FBS uh, down the road and stuff. And I know mm-hmm. that's way down the road, maybe putting the cart before the horse, but you know, as I'm reading, you know, and preparing to talk to you today that that to me was one of the interesting things is that if you're going to do this, why not go, you know, you well, not mm-hmm. not go for broke, but why not? You know, go for the brass ring, right? Do you do you sense that kind of momentum even in your own program in that regard?
0: No question. I mean, there's nothing to lose with everything yeah. to gain. Everything to gain. You just can't be afraid to step in the arena. Yeah. <laughs> you got. Yeah. You have to be. You have to be willing to step into the arena. And when you step into the arena, there will be fear. There will be doubt. You're going to be exposed in terms of what your weaknesses are. But the opportunity and the blessing is that hey. We can solve these issues, and if we attack one at a time, and we ha- we're all on the same page. For me, the best team that I have that's being created, or the the partnership that has to be right, is between myself, my AD Mickey Allen, and President Glover. Yeah, that we all have to be on the same page in terms of how we're pushing this program. Let's face it, every college football program is the Lends the eyes and ears to every institution. When you turn on a college football game on Saturdays, they're playing the football game. You're seeing the product in the field in terms of two teams playing football. But the commercials that they show, they don't show commercials about Ohio State football. They're showing about the Ohio State experience. They're talking about the School of Engineering, Architecture, the Arts and Science Building. They're showing all the library. They're showing everything about the institution and what they're known for and what they're great for as an institution. And that's what we have to get to here at Tennessee State is to highlight this is a great campus. It's a great quality of life. We're in Nashville, Tennessee, which is ranked top five, one of the great cities to, to live in, in the country, in the world, oh and guess. to visit. So it's, it's, it's putting that that out there to say, hey, you are not only going to a great institution, but you're in a great city to begin, to, to begin with. Yeah. And all you have a great chance to get a great education and, and tap into a powerful network after the game of football or after you graduate college. So um, it's a remarkable opportunity, you know, when, I, when you really look at it. And if we're all on the same page and we're rowing in the right direction, we're going
2: to get there. Yeah. Gordon Gee, you remember, he was the president of Ohio State when you were there. And, uh, you know, he he that's what he said about f- football should be the op- the looking glass into the you know institution if it's Absolutely. done correctly and stuff. And why not? You know, why not exploit and, it? Right?
0: And, yeah. and that's where I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting all my stuff is the relationships I had with Gordon. If you remember a few years ago, I was back at Ohio State in the capacity where I served um, as the ambassador for the university. Yeah, And development. So those experiences, both on and off the football field and seeing how successful Ohio State has been uh, behind the hood, under the hood, the side of the hood, on top, those experiences are with me. Yeah, And I see it. And I'm implementing those same strategies and ideas here at Tennessee State.
2: Uh, how tough is it uh, in your mind, Eddie? Because you played football at the highest level. You won the Heisman Trophy. You were a superstar in, in the NFL. Uh, you went to this huge institution where football was king. You know, I'm talking about Ohio State, or as you call it, the Ohio State, uh, et cetera. But how tough is it to look at life or to look at your present situation, having that in your in the back of your mind of what it could be, but can it really be? You understand what I'm saying? How I guess how far behind – Uh, Is a Tennessee state to an Ohio state in that regard?
0: I mean, in terms of perception and perspective right now, it's light years away. Yeah. But looking at the potential and creating the vision, we're right there. We were very close with the proper funding, the right guidance, the right moves, Um, the sustainability and the excellence is close. It's very close. Um, it's it's I don't get discouraged when I go in there and I see that our facilities are are, are antiquated and um, they, they're in need of a major uh, overhaul and renovation. I'm encouraged because I see what it can be.
2: Yeah. You
0: know what I mean? We just yeah. hired a few new people, a new equipment person that's going to really push the culture, help us create a system that is um, uh, going to emulate one of a power five school. Who comes from Denver, played was at Mississippi State. So having those people around really uh, is helping push that vision forward. So when I see, you know, uh, something that's desolate and, and run down and not used, I see opportunity of what, can, what it can be yeah. and polishing it up, cleaning it up, enhancing it. And, and, and really making it something that you can be proud of and sustainable.
2: How tough is it to have that patience? Because that's going to take a while. Financially, it takes a while to get that all mm-hmm. put together, much less getting it done. I mean, getting it built. Uh, it, are, uh, all the while, are you are you eager but also patient? You understand what I mean, that it's not going to be uh,
0: done in two months or two, maybe even two years, that it takes a while? Well, when you talk about patience, I had to be patient as a player because I had to be built right, okay? Yeah. I came to Ohio State, there's power back, and I had to be patient to sit behind and learn and grow behind Robert Smith and Raymond Harris and Butler Benote, Jeff Coughlin, and all those guys taught me how to work. And they said, okay, if you want this, you have to take it. So I had to learn how to get, you know, get faster, bigger, strong, quicker, work on my weaknesses. And it was through trial and tribulation you know, fumbling twice and having to fight through adversity. So I know that process and it's no different than anything else. And I have to, in order to be patient, you know, you're in a season where it feels like you're not moving and things aren't, aren't, aren't going the way that you think, or it's not as fast as you think, but you're still able to grow in those periods. You're still able to find who you are and grind and, 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 and be persistent and be disciplined and consistent in terms of showing up every day and pushing the envelope, keeping people accountable around you, uh, making sure that we're checking off our our list, our goals, setting goals for ourselves each year in terms of what we want to accomplish both in the operational sense, financially speaking, and on the field. And if we continue to push that forward, um, you know, before you look up, we're like, "Oh my gosh!" You know, we won a few ball games. Hell, we won a couple championships, and and now we we got to win. But a corporation is going to help us build this fifty million dollar facility with their name on it—the stadium—and now you know things are starting to look up a little bit. Yeah. Um, the, the exciting part about it is, is that Tennessee State is is going to get uh, th- this year and over time um, almost two hundred fifty million dollars of land grant money which is going to go back towards the infrastructure. So those small victories are happening. And we're starting to see cranes go up around campus. And when you see cranes yeah. on any campus, you know the financial health of that institution. So, Even during a
2: recession, Ohio State had yes, cranes
0: on campus. Still got you know cranes saying? up. Right? Hey, but I'm just thinking about you, Ben, back in, the, back
2: in those <laughs> mid-early 90s. If the transfer portal had been around, right. would you have jumped in it? And then number two, uh, and I'm, yeah, you know, I'm sure you're going to say the right thing, <laughs> but, uh, but, but then number two, that, th- that is where the Avenue, and you've even spoken of this, I think is a, the Avenue where you can improve your team dramatically for one moment from one year to the next, like Mel Tucker did at Michigan state this year. He kind of wrote the book on how you can transform a team in a year or two, just mm-hmm. from the transfer portal. And then maybe incorporating that now, uh, Looping that in with the NIL, the name, image, and likeness situation, I just think about uh, every time his name, image, and likeness comes, I think about how much money like a Eddie George could have made in his career at mm-hmm. Ohio State, et cetera. But that's kind of going away from my point. But the transfer portal does offer possibilities of kind of quick uh, – a quick changeover for a team, doesn't it?
0: It does. Um, I think, you know, Dion did it. Um, he was able to uh, be competitive to have a teammate that was competitive, uh, through the portal. Of course, Mel Tucker did it. Yeah. Um, I, I look at that as well as opportunities to, um, be a team that can compete or quicker. Um, uh, but you have to be careful that you have to do it every single year. There are over what, uh, 2,500 players in the portal. You yeah. only so many schools, a lot of those players are not going to find a home mm-hmm. and you've got to do your due diligence. It's important that, you know, I tell my staff, we have to do our due diligence with the kid. Is he the right fit? Why is he in the portal? He is in the portal for a reason. And you talked about had, in the early 90s when I jumped in the portal. Um, no, because my lesson was to be learned and to be tried through Ohio State. And I had to deal with those demons there. So you can't constantly run from situations because guess what? This game is all about adversity. And when you get punched in the mouth, and things don't go your way. If you jumped in the portal, you know, you want to get that type of player. He's more in the that when things get, get hot, hostile, that he's not going to respond. Yeah. So I'm, I'm under the impression I'm using it as, as free agency. I'm still building my, my core with the young players and setting the culture. And then if there is an immediate starter that I'm looking for, I'm going to look in the portal for that, whether it's a guard, center quarterback that has one or two years that can provide leadership that's looking for an opportunity um otherwise he would have you know he may have gotten beat out in the spring and he's looking for an immediate opportunity he can come to to to, uh tennessee state and have that opportunity to compete but have a much better chance of starting and showing his skill set and having an opportunity to go play at the next level yeah that 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 presents itself to him so I, I look at the portal as a great thing for, for us, uh, but ultimately for kids that don't want to face adversity and, um, uh, and, and, and and go through the the process of growing, and being patient, um, it kind of hurts them in the end. Yeah, I agree. Plus, like you, like you said, it's just selling point. You got
2: an NFL team five miles away. You know what I mean? You, oh, no, you know. no. Literally two miles away. Yeah. They oh, yeah. They're yeah, they're trained with, so, yeah. with them. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Hey, last thing, Eddie, do you, do you miss – well, you probably still root for Ohio State, right? I mean, you know, you're – you play for Ohio State, you work for Ohio State, you're an Ohio State ambassador. Um, did it Did it, Did it? it hurt deep down in your core watching Ohio State finally get beat by Michigan again last year?
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, of course. Anytime you get beat by that team up north, it, it definitely hurts. Um, but it's not a rivalry if the other team doesn't win. Yeah. And it was their time. Um, I've learned now as a as a coach that it's tough to win games, okay? Um, yeah, I now have empathy and compassion for, for Harbaugh, um, who has done a tremendous job there in, in terms of trying to change the culture from where it was. Where, we, where it was to where they're trying to go now. It came a very difficult task and, and you appreciate that. So it wasn't as painful as that. So I see it from both lenses and at some point you've got to come to realize that, hell, that's who your team is. You know, um, you 10 and two team or 11, one team or, the um, 12 and zero team. That's exactly who you are. Yeah. And, um, Ohio state went in there, um, in a hostile environment on a day where they were going to be physical and run the football. And that's exactly what happened. And, um, it's just that's right and true. It came down to the basics. You've got to be able to run the football in this game. You can't, you can't expect to throw it for a thousand yards every single week. That's great in, in September and, uh, in October, but when the weather turns, you better have three things. A great dominant run game, a dominant defense that can get you stops, and exceptional special teams. That's what's going to win you uh, championships. And, of course, having a quarterback that can make plays uh, certainly helps. But I've always believed in that. It still is tried and true. Um, You look at what Georgia was able to do last year. Uh, Their quarterback wasn't necessarily a superstar. He was adequate. But what did they have? Defense, special teams, run game. Yeah. And able to make plays in that. So I have always believed in that philosophy. Plus, they
2: got another shot, you know, at the team.
0: Yeah. Team. <laughs> that's yeah, sure that's always yeah.
2: key. <laughs> hey, last thing I'm out of here. Um, you guys were five and five in what I call your regular season. And then you played Mississippi State, right? In the final. <laughs> yeah, that was our bowl game, right? You are right, right, understand right. what I'm saying? I mean, I got you. Uh, you know, that's tough because that's a checkbook. I mean, that's, that's a checkbook game, you know, for mm-hmm. an HBC, uh, excuse me, an FCS school to play an SEC school, which is, you know, especially at the at, end of a year, you yeah. know, you know, it's, do you, do you hope to one day get away from that or, you know, but I don't know, that's kind of like a really hopscotch in here. It's, bit, it's, it's
0: tough um, because, you know, you're looking for opportunities to, you know, add to the bottom line, yeah. to help get the resources. And when somebody's waving, you know, $300,000 or $400,000 or a million dollars in front of your face to play, a team that you know that's going to be difficult for you, it's hard to turn down. Um, but it was very difficult to go into that game. Um, given the state that we were in. We we started off one and three. And I wasn't sure if we were gonna ever win a game. Okay. Yeah. Because based off of what I saw, and we only had really four months to install our all, everything. Yeah. Office, special teams, get them in shape. Then play a season. Oh, and oh, by the way, we're dealing with COVID. So half our team is missing. Our, our quarterback room uh, was, was completely out the week we're preparing for Ramblin'. We started our seventh string quarterback. Okay. Seven? He was seventh string quarterback in, in, in Tucker Pope. And God bless him. He did his, the best job he can do, but he was wide eyed, he was a freshman. And we're still trying to, to get plays in. A success for us early in the season, Tim, was just getting a playoff on time before the play clock. It didn't matter if we got a yard or it was a positive play, just getting off. so it was it was tough in the beginning. And uh, started off one and three. We got our asses kicked against Simo, and they just bludgeoned us. It was very they ran two plays. It was ran inside, outside zone and through the slants yeah. and kicked our ass. Wow. And we learned from that. I said, okay, now from this point on, it's not about the scoreboard. It's about the spirit. If anything, we're going to fight you. We're going to learn how to fight. We're going to learn how to grind to the bitter end. And we want to beat you up. Our goal is to have you go into next week's game sore. Okay. Yeah. And based off of that, they embraced that philosophy. We reeled off four straight wins. Went the Austin P we were 25-point underdogs. Yeah. Went up there and beat them. And came back and ripped off some more conference wins. And we started getting it rolling. And uh, we played T. Martin at their place. And this was for the – to be number one – tied for the number one position in the conference Um, late in the – I think it was late in the fourth quarter. Six minutes to go, we were down by a touchdown. Uh And we just unraveled. And then things – we just ran out of gas after that. Yeah. But it was a lesson learned. You know, three and three in the conference – um, we had a, a winning home record, three and one at home. So there are some things we can hang our hat on, and the fact that we had a short amount of time to implement, to learn our players, to figure out, you know, what's going on. Still trying to get coaching staff hired. All this was a lot of chaos. We were able to to do that. Now things have settled. Um, we're excited about what the future holds. Really you got, excited.
2: You got former Buckeyes uh, Richard McNutt, uh, defensive backs. Coach, I think uh, Pepe Pearson, your running backs coach, who mm-hmm. it was your little brother, I think at Ohio State at yeah, one point, right? It was, yeah. yeah it sure uh, was. and you just hired Michael Brewster, I think is I think an offensive coach, maybe tight ends coach, uh, former Ohio State uh, center, etc. Uh, what do you still feel? Are these guys you feel like you you know because of their Ohio State ties a little bit you can trust? Obviously, all of them have worked their way up the the, the rungs of the mm-hmm. ladder, as you said, instead of going mm-hmm. from the back line to the front. They've climbed the ladder and stuff. Uh, yeah. Just You don't have to name them all, but what do they give you from the standpoint of, yeah, these guys understand
0: where I come from, you know? Well, when you're trying to build a program, um, it's, it's really bringing the right bodies in the building in terms of coaches. Uh, I look for teachers. I look for guys that are going to be problem solvers, um, yeah. solution seekers. You know, not just say, hey, coach, you got a problem. Well, what's the solution? You know what have you come up with to be thinking? I love guys that um, are knowledgeable about the game, are passionate about the game, are students of the game, and you know it wasn't the fact that they had Ohio State on their resume; it's the fact that I could see who they were as people yeah. and what they bring to the table. Uh, of course, I know Pep, um, and he interviewed well. You know, I take them all through interviews, and. Um, you know, he knows the game. He's been in it for 20 some odd years. He's been at Marshall. He, he, we cut from the same cloth in terms of the running back position, in terms of what I want, the details of what I want in that position. So he's an extension of me when he's in that, in that room and we can speak the same language. Yeah. Um, in terms of Richard, like I didn't play with Richard, but Richard's passion when he coaches his room, he's the CEO of that room and the nuances, the details. Um, the teaching again, about being a man, uh, uh it really, uh, has it really blew me over. I mean, I was really impressed with Richard in terms of his interview and, and, and Michael, um, he called me a year ago when I got my staff together and I said, well, I don't have a place on my staff, but I promise you, you know, if something opens up, I'll give you an opportunity to interview for him. Well, he interviews again, and it was an opportunity. But something happened to where my tight ends coach left, and I remember him in the interview, how outstanding he was in terms of the details, his passion. He's at, oh, by the way, Cincinnati, the Bearcats, under Luke Fickle, another Buckeye. So yeah. the values, the 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 um, the work ethic, those things I'm, we're familiar with and we're connected, and I felt comfortable with that. So for me, it's not about – You know, whether Ohio State's on your resume, if you're black, if you're white, if you're male, if you're female, I'm looking for the right person. Okay, and that being said, of course, you know, I want equality and I'm I'm going to look for that, but I'm looking for the right person that's going to help drive the culture, the lifestyle and pour into these young men for them to be the best people that can be. And if I can get the best person, then I'll damn sure get the best product in the field. Cause Great. you can't compartmentalize your behavior.
2: Exactly. That's why I want to ask you last thing. I promise you, even though, you know, you've done me this, forever. I
0: love it, man. This is, I love, I love talking to you. You know that. I know, <laughs> but
2: uh, vice versa, brother. Uh, going back to something you mentioned earlier, and I was going to talk to you about this. I even had on a little thing I wrote down, which I left in the other room, but being, a, having the basis of an actor of training to have a, to play a role, um, uh, you know, some coaches you've seen can't turn it on and off because clearly, you know, you're not always going to be saying what you really in your gut are thinking. I mean, I'm mean, i talking about you have to present an image to a certain extent to everybody. You, you understand? I mean, uh, Tom Landry, mm-hmm. I got to interview him a couple of times. He was a head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. You know, you remember that stoic figure that was on the field, but off the field he was a charming great guy to talk to, you know what I mean? When you were just in a mm-hmm. conversational standpoint, just, but do you think having that acting uh, background and experience and training helps you be a head coach? If, if you follow what I'm saying, meaning yes. you do have to present, no matter what you're feeling deep in your gut, sometimes you got to present uh, a certain image, a certain approach to how you're going to get
0: from A to B. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. You're right. And, and that's something that is still developing and I'm, I'm using that, um, having anything again, you know, the acting roles and my acting career is not going to stop. Is, is this in a different capacity is in this role. I'm playing the role of a coach.
2: Yeah.
0: Acting is telling the truth in imaginary circumstances It's taking, what's written on the page, understanding who the character is, what the character wants, what are the challenges that you have to go through to get it, the, the goal and what happens once you get it? Yeah. And I've used a lot of the techniques in terms of finding out the character, like the character of my, of my, of my student athletes, who are they? What do they want? What's their name? What drives them? What's their motivations? You know what I'm saying? Yes. Uh, really getting into the psycho, the, the psychoanalysis of who they are, you know, what makes them tick um, and how can I uh, inspire them to be that. I have to coach guys differently in terms of I may have to be a little hard on one guy where I have to be more of a loving father figure to another one. Yeah. You know, it's all about understanding the relationships with these kids, understanding who they are and really what they want. And they're going to tell me who they are by what they say, about what others say about them and what they say about themselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's how I find out who a character is on a script about what the writer says about them, about what they say about themselves, and about what the other characters say about the, the character. Yeah. So the art of listening is, is the key to acting and also in terms of being a head coach and I'm taking those experiences. I've been training as an actor for 15 years, believe it or not. <laughs> and I've been on various stages where, you know, as Billy Flynn or Othello or um, uh, Walter Lee and, uh, and, and Brazen in the sun. And the, the approach is, is very, you've got to be very patient. You have to be um, vulnerable and uh, you have to uh, really, Invoke the truth. And that's what I try to bring as a head coach. He's not, I'm not going to try to be like urban. I'm not going to try to be like coach Tressel or coach uh, Fisher. I'm going to be Eddie George in these moments. And it's going to be some things that I'll do differently yeah. and say differently or invoke differently or present differently, but ultimately it has to come from a place of honesty and truth and confidence.
2: Coach man. Cooper. I mean, Coach Cooper, for example, Cooper.
0: you know, he didn't give up on Eddie
2: George. You know what I mean? I mean, you no, know what I mean? Didn't. After those two fumbles against Illinois, he didn't throw you away. You know, like, uh, I mean, it, it is interesting to me. It's like being an actor in an improv situation. What you're dealing with. Man. Always improvising. Yeah. Always. Because you don't right. know what's coming out of that other guy's mouth because it's not a script. You know, it's like, uh, right. yeah, it's interesting. Eddie George, man, I appreciate you uh, coming on my podcast again, man. This was a choice. And by the way, here's my prediction. I predict y'all might already be this, by the way, but I predict y'all to be the number one, uh, major college football team in Nashville. If you're not already within the next couple of years, what do you think about that prediction? Hey, I love that. <laughs> you're, I'm <laughs> um going there, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love, I
0: love
2: that. <laughs> anyway, ladies and gentlemen, it's yours. Thank you very much, Eddie. Thank you, Tim. I'll be in touch, man. All right, brother. Love you, man. You know, one of the reasons, uh, Austin that I think Eddie George can be a good head coach. Cause I think one of the, one of the, one of the great things you have to be able to do as head coach is communicate. And I think he, he's always been one of the great interviews, one of the great quotes I've ever been around. And uh, like he said, he cut his also cut his teeth in the business world, in the uh, Thespian world. I like saying Thespian cause how many times you get to say that on a podcast in the Thespian world. And, uh, I think he's got all the ingredients there, but you know, he is coaching at an FCS school, Tennessee State, uh, an HBCU school, school. As you, as I've told you before, and as you people who listen to the podcast heard, he and Dion uh, Prime Time, prim, Coach Prime, have embraced that as opposed to looking at that as necessarily a stumbling block or a negative to recruiting to that. And as I also pointed out in this great world uh, that we live in great in, in, uh, quotes, because there's a lot of crap going on, but in this interesting world we live in right now, uh, the transfer portal helps places like Jackson state and Tennessee state. They can pick up quality individuals from some of these schools. Cause like Eddie pointed at 2,500 or 3,000 people on transfer portal, they're not going to all get signed by Alabama and Ohio state and USC and, uh, Power five schools, they're going to be looking for places they can go and play immediately. And uh, if they pass the uh, look test by Eddie George, like you said, you know, the big question is, why did you leave the other place? You know, what, why did you turn tail? You know, why didn't you uh, step up to the challenge like he did at Ohio State when things didn't go well for him early, but he stepped up to the challenge. And next thing you know, he won the Heisman Trophy. You know, Uh, why did you leave? But then again, if a guy can help you immediately, Uh, just plug and play you got to consider him and that's that's the interesting world we live in right in college football right now
1: yeah and it may work the other way for them as well it's what I brought up earlier on with high profile recruits that it's really important for them to play right away or you know it could be a different experience or whatever else I think we know most of those things are going to come down to you know name image and likeness and playing time decisions as it almost you know the money part and and the playing time has always been a key factor but Um, you know, part of that equation has changed dramatically. And if they can get a guy for a year or two and you know, help them develop and win some games and and play really well, well, maybe then they spend one year or two years at the Big Ten level or SEC level, and it'll it can work in a lot of different ways. We'll see. I mean, I don't think that that's going to be a route that affects Ohio State ever very much. Um, you know, the, the farm system stuff, they're they're selective in the portal. And they prefer to have those guys that they develop themselves. But, you know, that doesn't mean that other places can't really benefit from that. Um, it'll work for those schools. It'll work for those players, potentially. Um, they can maybe put some money in their pocket and, and get it on the field quickly. And I, I don't know. I, that's why I say it's, it's an interesting trend. It's not, there's nothing about it that I look at as a real negative. If it's an opportunity for everybody involved to do something that they couldn't before, maybe makes it more appealing. That's good. I mean, I think college football and college athletics, as we've said a number of times, as long as this podcast has been going, you know, the NCAA has to do more things that work in everyone's best interest outside of just the school. Yeah. That means the players, that means the coaches, that means the fans with the attendance at all of it. NCAA has always been bad at that. They've got to embrace this this opportunity to reshape what they're doing and what Dion and Eddie George are doing is a big part of that. Yeah.
2: Of course, you and I both know that most of the time the NCAA can't get out of its own way. So uh, we'll, we'll we'll see where all that goes. I wanted to ask you this, though, speaking of transfers, to me, the one of the more interesting um, players to watch this spring at Ohio State is Chip Trainum, uh, the transfer from Arizona State, who's transferring not only from Arizona State, but transferring from running back to linebacker. Uh, you know, he's, Ohio State's gambling to a certain extent on this guy having the goods, the wherewithal to help them at linebacker. And uh, you know, his first part of his college career, he's been spent as a running back. I mean, see, Ohio State is willing to take some shots, right? I mean, that's that's what,
1: but not willing to take twenty of them, right? Yeah, yeah. and and that, he's the perfect example, I think, of you know making sure that that fit is right. Now, if you look at it on paper and you say, well. why not just take a pure linebacker? It's not like Chip Traynham hasn't played that before. And, in fact, Ohio State, in their recruiting process with him, thought this is where you should play. You know, this is your best opportunity. And he sort of, you know, similar to Steel Chambers, he wanted to take his shot play offense. He did that. Say he probably had a little bit more success at that Arizona State than than Steel Chambers had here with the Buckeyes. But, you know, they understand all that. They've done plenty of work – Understanding his athleticism, his personality, built in relationships from the past, knowing that he's from Ohio, knowing the program that he was in there. And you, from my dealings with him, I can see why he fits those things and checks those boxes that yeah. Ryan Day and Mark Antoni are talking about with the roster management. It's just been a couple conversations, but I am really impressed with his mentality, his personality, those things. I think you now the ingre- aggression that he plays with off the field doesn't really match the way he you know, talks off it. He's a sharp guy from my experiences so far. But you can see that the speed he has and the way he's put together, I mean, he has the opportunity to do the same thing Steel Chambers did. And he's got a little bit more time because he made a conscious effort to take this path in December and not, uh, you know, in the summer or August. And I don't know what that means. He's going to have 15 practices, um, 13 of them with the pads on to show how smooth that transition could be. But I mean, everything I've seen and heard tells me that this guy can be right in that mix. And that's why last week when we talked about the linebackers, yeah. I mean, how does it all fit together? I don't know that he's going to surpass steel chambers right now, but he loved the athleticism and you love the, the approach. And he's talked to Jim Knowles plenty about what that role could be. He's one of the most, as you said, I, I completely agree. He's one of the most intriguing guys on this roster to watch over 15 practices. Yeah. And, you know, it's uh, like you said, I'm, uh,
2: I've am i only talked to him one time, but it was like during that interview situation, I got to ask him a few questions even one-on-one there. And uh, what, what impressed me about him is he's been studying the linebacker position. He's not just showing up, you know, the first day of spring drills <laughs> to play linebacker. And like you said, he's played it in the past. But I was just laughing. I was had a smile on my face while you were talking. I was laughing internally there so I didn't interrupt you because I know some of the Uh, followers don't like that when I do that. But I was just thinking about Eddie George. Joe Paterno wanted him to play linebacker, and he said, no, I want to be a running back. (laughs) And he won the Heisman Trophy. (laughs) So, you know, you never know. Uh, Life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get, you know, and uh, as Forrest Gump said. And uh, he was an All-American at Alabama, but I digress. Uh, Real quickly, speaking of guys coming and going uh, and uh, proving themselves, as I prefaced with earlier, put you on the spot. Who, who, who improved their situation uh, at the uh, combine, the NFL combine, the past week that you and uh, Spencer Holbrook, uh, glue man, uh, attended? Who uh, among Ohio State's uh, prospects improved their uh, position vis-à-vis the NFL draft, the upcoming NFL draft?
1: Yeah, I'm not really sure why Chris Olave needed to do that or prove to people that he was fast. I'm so baffled by this. I don't know. It, not everybody did it, and I'm not going to paint all but Let of me interrupt it. you. You're fixing
2: to talk about something that we talked about a year ago. Uh, this disinformation campaign that comes out, it's almost like it's run by the Russian, uh, the, Russian uh, the Kremlin or something, like yeah. what they threw out there at you about Justin Fields a year ago and stuff. And people do make stuff up, and then people run with it, without ever even consulting that block punt he had against Michigan as a freshman when he looped in and all of a sudden he's in the punter's face. Where did he come from? I mean, I'm sorry, but I get all excited about this kind of stuff, uh, Austin, because it really – it really. you don't want to think conspiracy theories, but you, it really bothers me when people grab something and then run with it, pardon the expression, <laughs> yeah. and then have it blow up right in front of their eyes and go – well, he isn't that fast all the time. What's his football speed? Or, you know,
1: whatever they're going to say. Now go ahead. Well, and his football speed is the yeah. easiest to see of all. Yeah. You have yeah. four years of him blowing past defenders and taking – getting open. Yeah. Like, and getting open with ease and catching those, you know, running those out routes with Justin Fields or C.J. Stroud or rolling to their right. And he's pulling away. And uh, that part is crazy. The on-field stuff. There's so much film of it that to ignore that is crazy. But this part, like this notion that he wasn't fast, like I, I don't, I just, I have such a hard time comprehending how you could even con- concoct this storyline. And the same was true. Garrett Wilson was sitting there on Thursday and said, Oh, well, I mean, I guess somebody thought I was going to run four five, Like these guys hear this stuff. And it's like, what, like, where did it come from? Because Olave in high school, when he got here, it's like, well, I remember Ryan Gen wrote this story when we were at a different place, like about him going out for baseball, not even playing any of it, just to be a pinch runner because he could fly. Yeah. He has always been incredibly fast. And when he got here, it was, well, you know, he's probably just going to be at deep threat. And, and for now, maybe he'll learn how to, the, how to do the rest. And, um, it was like, that's why you saw him on special teams, because the athleticism was always off the charts. So, you know, whatever, that happens. We, we had to do this last year talking about Justin Fields. I, it's crazy that we would – I mean, there's no one in the world that doesn't think that Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave should be picked in the first – no one who could legitimately think that they're not first-round draft picks at wide receiver. Yeah. Um, but they – Garrett Wilson's time, and both of them going sub-4-4, Uh, locks them up i think garrett wilson should be the first wide receiver taken i don't know if he will be um but he should be in the top 10 uh and chris olave if he goes past 20 that would be a major mistake you don't want to get teams that are in 21 to 32 range you're talking about teams that already can win games already in position you don't want chris olave to show up on those teams Yeah. Uh, yeah that's gonna if if the chargers are you know somebody you know Get Chris Olave. Well, you made a big mistake that you just gave uh, the Chargers or the Patriots a free weapon. That's going to be a problem for you if you let Chris Olave slide. So, um, you know, they they did what they had to do with their testing. Uh, I think it's unfortunate for Jeremy Ruckert. We talked about him with, you know, last week, the things that he needed to prove. But he showed he's willing to bench. He's close. Uh, he, he's going to be able to go run and catch passes and things like that on pro day. At least that's the expectation. I think he kind of needs it. Um, to be honest, I think they're you know that coming off of last season, we already talked about that. Uh, he's got some room to help there, uh, but you know Petit Frere really impressive with the interview stuff. Uh, I think the the teams will come away uh, in raving over that. Tyreek Smith, as we thought, the measurables. I don't think that any of the of the seven did anything to hurt themselves, and and the only one who really maybe still has some work to do is Jeremy Rucker.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, plantar fasciitis is a real deal. <laughs> sure. I've had it before, and uh, the only thing that fixes it is staying off your feet for want for of another term. Uh, mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, Chris Olave, remember during our pod, my podcast earlier last year when there was indications that people were taking Chris Olave out of the offense, you know, with their coverages, I go, throw it to him anyway. Uh, the guy has a way to get open. He's, he's yeah. Cooper Cup. a man, in that regard. He can get open. He's one of those guys, you know, like Jackson Smith and Jigba can get open. No matter what you do, just don't let anybody take him out. And it's going to be interesting to see, like you said, if he does fall to a team that's already sort of rich, he's going to make that team very richer. Uh, I mean, I don't know if that's the correct term, very and richer. Richer. He's going to make that team richer. Uh, yeah, I don't know.
1: Yeah. And I don't know if you agree with this or not, Tim. Sorry to to interrupt you, but I think that because it's probably likely that Olave will be in the second half of that of the of the first round. Yeah. And people are enamored by Garrett Wilson with good reason. I just I think if you're sitting there right now, Olave is more prepared and more complete and could help a playoff team right away. Where I, I wonder if it may take Garrett Wilson a year or two. And eventually he would surpass Olave. I think the ceiling is higher, but I think Olave right now is probably the more pro ready guy. And if that happens where you're talking about say new England or um, you know, someone who is a player away at wide receiver, I don't know. Um, name yep. any team that, that yep. didn't get to the final Buffalo, um, Buffalo or new England. If you put him on there with Josh Allen or, Mac Jones, as he grows. You're always trying to help Buffalo, man. What's going on there? Hey, I would love to see Josh Allen thrown to Chris Olave. Seriously. Seriously. But the Chargers, the same deal, right? I mean, any of these teams that that have quarterbacks in place, maybe have their offensive line ready to go, and you add one more puzzle piece because it's more likely to be Olave than Wilson, I think that's actually, you know, better for those teams. They can help them next year.
2: Yeah. I'll tell you a team he would help is the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, for example, I mean, you know, cause the Amari Cooper situation and everything going on. I mean, I just, you know, he would help everybody because he can catch the ball. He's got a great, he and Garrett Wilson have one thing in common. They have a tremendous catch radius, you know, and, uh, there are all kinds of reasons why I would not hesitate. If somebody took Garrett Wilson first, I would take Chris Olave next. If somebody took Chris Olave first, I'd take Garrett Wilson next to me. They're two peas in the pod and, you know, and Ohio state, by the way, as you as you uh, well know and pointed out, not established itself as the uh, as the 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 home or the uh, what's what's the word I want to call it the fount of fast wide receivers in tandem. You know, right. the only only one school has had a set of two receivers go to the combine and run under four four both of them. Of course, Terry McLaurin and Paris Campbell several years ago, and now. Uh, uh, Chris Olavi and Garrett Wilson. I think you can hang your hat
1: on something like that, right, on a school that 20 years ago was considered to be slow. Well, and there's somebody involved at Ohio State who, I don't know, maybe played at a time when a couple first-rounders came off the board, maybe coaching now, maybe involved. I don't know. Yeah. I may have, I may have communicated with that person on Thursday night. Yeah. And I said, well, congratulations on these times. And it, to him, it wasn't about that. It was these guys had worked so hard to do something, and they're there. They, that was the last step. They had a, they were going to go – I've said before, they were going to be first-rounders either way. But that – what you're talking about, that they used to be slow, or that it had been 15 years since they'd had a first-round draft pick uh, from that wide receiver group, that really rubs Brian Hartline the wrong way. And you, you've seen what Terry McLaurin did not being in the first round, see what Mike Thomas did not in the first round the list is a lot longer than that yeah um you know maybe paris campbell should have been in the first round he's had injuries that hasn't worked out quite that way but doesn't matter there have been other guys that probably could have gone and it didn't happen and it was got back in all capital letters we're back and this thing this 15 year streak that's over these yeah. guys are breaking it and now there's going to be a new one remember what we talked about when when uh Kerry Combs started the cornerback assembly yep. line. First round, first round. This thing is not going to slow down for Ohio State now. What you're talking about, the fact that they validated when you're, you're pointing to Mike Thomas, you're pointing to Terry McLaurin, all these other guys, then you're gonna have two first-round draft picks. Then you have Jackson Smith and Jacob coming back as the Bolindakoff favorite. You've already signed Julian Fleming two years in. You've already signed Nameka Buka's number one in the country. These like this thing is a snowball going out of control. And now that you have, well, in control. I guess uh, Brian Hartline doesn't want his receivers going out of control. No, he doesn't. Uh, yeah, so, you know, this this thing has already been crazy impressive. And now yeah. you have this on top. Oh, yeah. It's it's wild what they're, what they're capable of doing. And that was – this was one of the things that was left for Brian Hartline. Like, break that streak. Get that over with. You can say that it's not important. They're trying to win games. They go through a season. Well, they want to develop guys so they can achieve this – this accomplishment, and these goals. And Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson have done that now. And that's going to open even more floodgates for Ohio State and for the guys in that room coming behind. Them.
2: Golly, I'll tell you what, though, man. I'm telling you. I tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm just selfish. But uh, the thing I wish I had seen uh, was empty set, five wides. Of those five guys, I'm talking about Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Marvin Harrison, Jr., and Mika Igbuka, Just give it to me five times this past year. Actually, give it to me ten times so each guy could have two catches, you know. (laughs) But how would you have ever covered that, you know? The only way you covered it is having a guy come off the edge or up the A-gap and uh, get in C.J. Stroud's face and force a bad pass. That that would have been the only way to stop that. There were so many route-tree combinations. It would look like a root ball, you know, that you could have thrown at people. And just wow, just <laughs> wow, you know, this – the see, when I was growing up and even when you were growing up, man, if okay, if you had a Keystone combo there at your school, the, the school, your favorite school, they were going to be there for three years, you know what I mean? And you were going to get to watch, you know, Joe Nama throw to whomever, you know, uh, 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 Ken Staber throw to Ray Perkins, you know, uh, Dennis Holman. Right on down the line, those are Alabama guys because that's you who know, I was rooting for way back when, you know. Uh, but just throwing that out there, you know, we not get, get to see that anymore. I would love to have seen what Utah would have done if those five guys had all taken the field at the same time as bereft of talent as Utah was on the back end going into that because of all kinds of reasons. That would have been unbelievable, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that have been a moment, Austin?
1: <laughs> I I think I don't want to have to go play this role where. I get asked about it on the message boards at Letterman Row, and people, say that you're not the only one who feels this way. And I don't want to be any wet blanket, but you know that Ryan Day has Travion Henderson in the backfield, and he's got Jeremy Ruckard and an elite tight end about every play. I know, I know. But then they ask the other part is uh, I'm just going to address them both. So, well, why not just do it on third and long? Ohio State's the most successful third and long team in the country. Like, yeah. there's not anything I, I know. Yes, it would have been cool to see that collection. But what you could
2: have done, what, what you could have done, you could brought in Mika Ibuka back in, back in motion, and put him, put him next to CJ because Mika Ibuka is a one cut dude, man. He is well, willing to cut, cut it up. I mean, you'd we have saw, still
1: have that running threat. Go ahead. I'm sorry. We saw Jackson in the Rose Bowl shifting yeah. into the backfield and yeah, uh, putting linebackers in the blender. Holy cow! If that's going to yeah. be a wrinkle that continues beyond that, uh, and maybe maybe it is a mecca. Maybe it would be Jackson. Could be both. You know, I don't know. The, the part I can't dis- dispute is, yes, this collection of talent, if you put it all out there at once, is wildly impressive. And to see that would be pretty darn cool. And, in fact, I mean, it's not even the first time they could have done this. We talked about, you know, the years with Paris Campbell and Johnny Dixon and Terry McLaurin, and behind them they had K.J. Hill and Austin Mack and Ben Victor. Yeah. I mean, this isn't new, but now the six that we're talking about And this is not a knock on those guys because those are six of some of my favorites to ever watch and cover and know. Yes. So not that, but just based on the recruiting profiles, when you're talking about one through six now compared to four years ago, boy, you can't deny, you just, there's don't, there is no comparison on paper. We're talking, you know, Emeka and Julian Fleming being number one in the country at that position. And, you know, sorry, Marvin Harrison, your hall of fame genetics, you're just, You were almost the throw-in behind that. That's the perception of it. We didn't talk about Marvin Harrison that much at this time last year going into the first spring practice. or And by the end, we certainly were. Oh, yeah. uh, You know, in a major way. But, you know, will that happen uh, again with these guys? There's a – Jaden Boward. I mean, Chris Olave was absolutely going crazy talking about him on Thursday. Um, I mean, one through six or one through six plus. It's – wild just on paper what they yeah absolutely by the way uh yeah
2: Marvin Harrison Jr. was my Josh Proctor of the year won the Josh Proctor award for me because all I did was talk about him after that spring game because I'm just going that's I I started talking about him after the first couple of practices we got to watch because I'm just going this guy this guy is special and different and uh look out you know and now of course everybody the you know but uh uh Hey, one quick thing. What are you hearing about Josh Proctor's situation? Well, I mean, what what are you hearing about his progress, et cetera?
1: Yeah, my understanding is that he's been able to participate in all the non-contact things. So he's he's been working out. He's been clear of that for a little bit. Uh, I do not know what they will decide in terms of a snap count, pitch count, rep count, all that stuff during spring. Now, Ohio State tends to be pretty cautious with those guys if they played – You know, it used to be for Urban Meyer, it was 2,000 reps. Uh, If you'd been to that point, spring practice wasn't that important for you. This is a different situation with Josh Proctor and the three safety look in a new defensive coordinator, new position coaches. Uh, So I don't think that means they're going to throw the old way out the window and Josh Proctor, you got to go. I don't think they will want him taking live contact, but I've asked a couple people about that and they say, well, there's so much he can do. Uh, still throughout a spring that doesn't require him to hit somebody. And um, there's no concerns whatsoever that Josh Proctor uh, isn't willing to go tackle somebody and and rip their head off when it matters. So they're not concerned about that part of it. He knows how to do it. um, And there's confidence in that. Uh, So I think that that's where they'll they'll find that balance. They're going to make sure that he gets on the field in situations where he wouldn't be uh, pushing it to the max uh, or exposed. I think that the I think that leg is at, at a spot where he is, you know, fine to do most activities, but they're not going to take any chances at this point. And ease him back into it. That's yeah. That's not definite. We're going to find out more when we get out in the Woody tomorrow. Maybe uh, what color jersey he's wearing. We'll ask Brian Day and Jim Knowles about that. But I think that when you want Josh Proctor to be Josh Proctor is in August and not necessarily. Uh, the second week in March.
2: Yeah, and as a, a guy, because I was asking about Josh too. Uh, you know, as a, as a person pointed out to me, uh, said also, you know, think about spring drills is they start maybe March what eighth, but they don't end until April sixteenth. That's another month and a week of you know he can even show even more physical improvement so to speak. But like you said, the last thing they want to do is rush this guy back in there. Course, the first thing Josh Proctor wants to do probably is to rush back in there. Like you pointed out, this is going to be a, a new concept sort of defense for that back seven. Well, for the whole 11, really. But, uh, you know, where does he fit? Well, he's got to fit somewhere. He's a high caliber <laughs> ammunition. He's got to fit well, no matter what kind of gun you got back there. You got to, he's got to fit it, you know. And, uh, and so to me, like, like I said, as much as you would like to see a finished sort of version. Of this defense from the standpoint of personnel coming out of the spring, I don't think you are because there are going to be some guys that step up you know, between now and the and the fall. You know, I don't I don't know what the progress is. Definitely, like of Lathan Ransom, for example, but he's clearly got a ways to go. Um, you would think, but those were guys who were you know played a role in the past season, and you don't just throw those guys away if they come back and they show they're 100. So, but I am as curious as anybody to see. Josh Proctor learned this defense by maybe not taking part in the real part of it, which is the part he likes best,
1: which is sticking his nose in there, right? Yeah, and and he's had time. I mean, he had to watch, and Ohio State shifted a little bit, obviously. Yeah, uh, last year, uh, so all that effort that he put into learning that and being the free safety, I think the way Ohio State was playing late in the year, there'll be some carryover for him. Uh, from what he's seen on film, but either way, he's had two months now of, you know, some meetings, some of the workouts uh, to be around them and understand like he's Josh Proctor is a free safety and I don't care how many safeties anybody plays with his responsibilities aren't going to change that significantly. Yeah. And he, he understands the game. He's, he's played it on the field and he's been forced to watch more than he would have wanted to, Uh, you know, and I think that you can pretty much trust that he knows what uh, that responsibilities are going to be like. Now, yeah. you certainly want to develop chemistry and continuity and all that stuff that comes from being on the field. And he hasn't played that much next to Ronnie Hickman. Um, he's not played at all next to Tanner McAllister. Um, you know, he knows Cam Brown. I, you know, those are the things that, you know, Ohio State has to balance. And I know that, you know, 15 practices in spring are very significant for that. But for Josh Proctor, they probably won't be as much as going every single day in August, getting ready for September. Yeah. So that's, you have to resist, you have to fight that urge. And that's always the thing with Josh Proctor, as eager as he is, you pull back the reins a little bit. We know what you can do. You know, you know, you wanted to do it last year. You were on the brink of that real breakout moment. Everyone could feel it. Everyone could see it, you know, just be patient here. Uh, make sure that you're in this playbook and you're comfortable with what, you know, Walton, Eliano, Knowles, all these guys are teaching in the secondary, but you don't have to prove anything right now. Like, yeah. Yeah. He, you know, Jim Knowles was, was down the road in Stillwater from when Josh Proctor was coming up. Uh, maybe the past didn't cross exactly at the same time, but his reputation is well known to everybody. So yeah. you know, make sure everything is right squared away uh, so that you can go through a full summer and then be ready for August.
2: Yeah. I was going to bring up that idea of uh, one who got away, you know what I mean? For, uh, yeah for uh, Jim Knowles and stuff, because this guy's a player. He will stick his nose in there. He will, as I like to say, you've got to have guys on that backside. You've got to have one guy that will just stir the drink. I think Ronnie Hickman stirs the drink. But if you got two guys that can stir the drink but also have some uh, discipline in what they're really after back there, you've got yourself the makings of a hell of a secondary with those two returning corners and uh, possibly using three safeties. I mean, I, I just think it's interesting – that, like we've talked about before I don't want to get into that now because we've already t- talked long before our limit but you you <laughs> and I have both brought this up and it's it's a valid point. Jim Knowles and these new defensive coaches are going to benefit from guys learning the hard way last year so is Ohio State yeah maybe uh, 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 scheme wise there needed to be some changes but mainly guys got wet behind their you know they're no longer wet behind their ears whatever that cliche is. They aren't that anymore, and you've got some guys now wanting to go out there and make an impression, and I think it bodes well for this defense, don't you?
1: Yeah, so much of it is just being on the field and the speed of the game and understanding what any scheme is because you have to put in a new game plan and new wrinkles and new play like every single week. That's part of college football and maturing. So the fact that Ohio State is changing what it's doing and the – the way it deploys the personnel, the amount of blitzing, all that stuff. Like just knowing how to play football, the reps, and competing against high-level competition and maturing in the weight room, those things, you know, I've heard all sorts of players throughout the time. You know, scheme doesn't matter. That's They want to go out there and execute. They need to be comfortable in that. They need to know what it is. But where they find their biggest improvement is not like that you just had to be in this exact right system for them to unlock their potential. Yeah. It's, you know, life is about this too, but football is definitely about reps and being out there on the field doing anything. So, yeah, yeah, the fact that these guys had to do that before maybe they were ready, this next staff, revamped staff, I think they're absolutely going to reap the benefits of that.
2: Yeah, and the best defenses we've ever seen through the years are the get-after-it defenses. You know, guys who have confidence in who they are, how, where they fit and just getting after it. And the the more get-after-it factor you've got, like with Georgia this past year, the simpler you can be on defense. Just let guys play. And, you know, I I, I liken it to going from uh, playground – they don't even have playground merry-go-rounds anymore. We had merry-go-rounds when I was growing up. I don't know if you all did, but uh, uh, you would – you would have guys get in the middle of the merry-go-round and push it so everybody else could hang on on the outside, you know. But the the outside of the merry-go-round is always going faster than the inside, you know. And uh, the more you can get to the inside, the more control you have. I'm talking about as a player, things aren't swirling as fast. Things are still going fast, but you still have the ability to go and hit. And Josh Proctor was really, I think, primed to be that guy last year in that defense and it was taken away, and we all know that they've been in search of that big-time safety play, other safety play since then, with, with Ronnie Hickman showing the way on that other spot. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm this is going to be an interesting spring in all kinds of ways, Austin, and I appreciate you joining the Tim May podcast again and that uh, coveted co-pilot seat. My man, you, you hit all the right buttons again today, man. What's that feel like as we come in for our landing?
1: Well, you have to be on point because it only takes one bad landing and everything it- – Falls apart. So you got to be on point every single time and uh, you take nothing for granted. You get through one flight, you prepare for the next one.
2: Yeah. Well, we're using a GPS landing system now, and I think we're starting to hit the right buttons, and boom, we're right on final right now. So without any further ado, ladies and gentlemen, for Austin Ward, this is Tim May. We'll see you next week. Lucky Land Casino asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?
1: Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? In my dentist's office.